does our how does our marriage like how I treat mom or how mom treats me or just how our marriage is how does that affect you um I guess if you treated mom a certain way that wasn't kind and you didn't love her then if I grew up I wouldn't know how um, a husband was supposed to treat me because that's how because if you're the husband and you're treating my mom like that then I wouldn't that's just all I would know left hands with the heavy grace I ain't scared of the marriage day I ain't scared of the marriage day Welcome to the A More Excellent Way podcast with Dr. James and Nicola Hawkins. Here, we seek to inspire and equip couples and families to go about their relationship with God and each other in, in a, a more, more excellent, excellent way. Convicting, huh? A challenge. Well, that's my family. That's my nuclear family or my bayit. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But welcome, New Heights family. Our first family Sunday. And I want to declare to you today that by declaring this and us taking a stand at New Heights, this isn't just some thing we're doing to make a theme, to make you feel good or to excite you, but to declare this as family Sunday and what we're going to talk about is a direct stand to claim a territory that Satan is fighting so hard to take ever since the beginning in Genesis and he'll be fighting against until the end. And that is family and the concept of family And ultimately, he is against any resemblance of the family of God on the face of the earth. And we're taking the stand today against that, but also for that. Amen? So today, in this talk, what you got to see there was my daughter, Grace, and just my daughters. And I didn't do that specifically for Family Sunday, but I, yeah, I'm that therapist that you might want to keep praying for their kids, right? You know? Um, I just want to know, what are they learning about family as they watch us? Not necessarily... Because it's not always what you tell your kids or what you think you're teaching them. It's the meaning that they take away from it. So when I asked Grace that question, I had no idea what answer she was going to give. That was her natural answer, right? And so the idea of family is something that's personal to me. My mom and my dad divorced when I was very young. And so, but I was raised in a home with my grandmothers and my uncles and cousins around. Family is very, very important to me. And my family has been very good to me. They've passed on a good heritage and a legacy to me. But I tell you, what God really did with family for me was the family of the church of God. That's what he had to use to call me around. See, I was a young military guy on my own. And my dad, he wasn't always involved in my life. But he, when God got a hold to his heart, he formed this habit while I was in the military to call me on Friday nights to ask me about my walk with God and if I was in a church. I didn't like getting those calls on Friday nights as a young military guy who was not following God. He was messing up my plans. And so I learned to try and avoid my phone calls from dad on Friday nights because I didn't want conviction. But I also had learned, I grew up around church, and what I found was I learned, I was really good of kind of approaching the church but sneaking out during altar call because I didn't want to feel conviction. If you've ever been to an African-American missionary Baptist church and the deaconesses or the deacons walk up front and they put a chair and they, they, you want, you're supposed to respond to the message and come have a seat and make a public profession in front of the congregation, if God has spoken and called you, you might be like, oh my goodness, but that's what we should do in the body of Christ to a degree is a public profession of faith, right? But I had learned I could sneak out because people didn't know me. Until one day, God, I was at a party and a friend that was like a sister to me, she says, Hawkins, how about we go to church tomorrow? 
Sure, sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. But little did I know, God had a plan set up at this church that I was going to visit. It was a little church with about eight people, and it was a new church plant. And this lady at the church that was helping start the church plant, she looked at me, and she knew that I was a young military guy with no family in the area. And she said something that God used to get a hold to my heart that won me to faith. And she, when she realized I didn't have family, she says, don't worry about it. I'm your Aunt Gloria, and this is your Uncle LJ. We're your family. Needless to say, I couldn't sneak out during altar call at that church because now it's eight people, and I have an aunt and uncle who will talk about me if I sneak out. But do you see, it was this idea of there were two, there were two levels of family involved in my life that helped win me to faith. My father, after God got hold to him, him reaching out to me, but then it took the church to be a family to come step in and forgot to seal the deal on my life. So I want to talk to us about today, what does that mean to be family? Because even here, I would not be here at New Heights if I did not believe New Heights could be family to me. People say, well, James, how do you preach at New Heights? Isn't that scary? There's a lot of people you meet in the gym. They're noisy sometimes, right? But I said, what helps me is when I can see the people I'm talking to, not as people I'm trying to perform for, they're my family. So I'm talking to you today as your brother in Christ. Amen? And what does it mean for us to be family? At New Heights, I've experienced family here. Many of you might, one of my friends here that got me to come here was Dan Smith. Dan's been like an uncle to my daughters. Dan is Dutch. He's not black. But he's like an uncle to my daughters. Uh, Ethne Napier, daughter of uh, Heather and, and Alden Napier. I love when one day her little girl wanted my girls to come over to her house. And they said, and she said, not when my friends are coming over. She said, are my cousins coming over today? There's no blood relation, but she still sees my girls as a part of her family. And even you'll see a picture come up here. I was looking in the back, and if you, many of you know Miss Rita, she's the one that helps host and get things set up here at New Heights. And as you see, there's a sign here. It says, Aunt Rita. Well, she really acts like Mama Rita. Even today before we had worship service, I was volunteering to help out with something. And I, I said, oh, I can help with that. And she says, no, you won't. You have too much to do. I said, yes, Mama Rita, I will listen. So even family happens here at New Heights. And I could go on and on about ways in which here at New Heights, in which we embody the idea of being family. But in the interest of time, because I did go long first service, I won't go into all of those. But if you say you're sitting here like, oh gosh, another family Sunday sermon. If I'm not married, this isn't going to pertain to me. I came from a broken, dysfunctional family. This is going to tell me how screwed up I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Stay with me in the room. Don't go to those thoughts because the word I want you to hear today, one of those is there is hope in the family of God. God can redeem any of our stories of where we came from. Even for me and Nicola, some of the things we've had to deal with in marriage are things that we picked up, some good things we picked up from our families, but also some bad things we picked up from our families. And some of it's not that our parents taught us bad things. They're just wounds to our heart that we have. And Kevin talks about this a lot, about those father wounds that, that we receive sometimes. But there is hope. And I got to throw this one in. I throw it in first service. But I heard a lady giving her testimony of abuse that she had went through, physical abuse. And, we, and they asked her how the church has been a part of her healing. And I loved her answer. She said, it took the fathers and brothers in the church to help me heal from everything I had been through. That is a picture of what I hope the family of God does. That no matter what you might experience in your family of origin, that the family of God provides a redemptive experience for any pain that you have experienced. Amen? 
in that whatever your family has passed on to you, take the good, take it forward. But those things that God wants to redeem and heal in your life, I pray that we can walk with you in that healing and that redemption as the family of God. And maybe you say, James, I didn't have a family. I'm just lonely and I'm wandering. I love what Psalm 68 says, verse 5 and 6. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. We've been singing about the reckless love of God, God being our heavenly father, our good, good father, and that because he's our good, good father, we have 10,000 reasons why we can sing of all of his goodness. And because of that, we recognize we have received such amazing grace from our heavenly father that we can then extend to others as a family of God. Before I get into the teach, I want to declare some things over us today and make it very clear about my heart and my passion about why this matters to me as a marriage and family pastor, as a therapist. Why does this matter to me about Family Sunday? Because family is important about shaping culture. Do you get that? That in families is where you are learned to see yourself and learn how to see culture and to shape and make culture. That's one reason why family is so important. Another reason is whether good or bad, family has a long-lasting impact on how you view the world, yourself, and God. And so my hope in here today is not to shame or to, to press you down, but to encourage you to step up and embrace this gift. And that's not just for husbands and the fathers and the wives and the mothers. That's whether you are a son or a daughter, a nephew, a cousin, an uncle, and grandparent. God is using you in a nuclear family, but he's also using you in his extended family, the family of God. And we'll make that a little bit more clear. But it's also this idea that within the the concept of family and that bond of family is where we are able to disciple and walk through life's difficulties with one another. Family should be what defines our relationships in the body of Christ and how we are connected. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But also, I want to make it very clear to you, even as we talked about today and Andrew was praying for us and we were getting ready for today's worship service, Satan does not want, he will not sit idly by and leave your family unscathed. He will war against your family and he will war against the church being the family of God. See, as long as the church remains divided over various isms and schisms and brokenness and doctrine, as long as we are not family, I really don't believe we're a threat to him. So he wants to even destroy the concept of family and our connection within the body of Christ. I like how Tony Evans said it. He says, the tragedy today is that many Christians think they are fighting flesh and blood in their marital and parenting issues, rather than realizing that Satan has an agenda to destroy their home. Whoever controls the family controls the future. And I truly believe that because family is the institution that God set in the beginning to be the ones that then have children that then exercise dominion over the earth. If I can get the, he says, if I get the family, I get generations. But we refuse to give him that. And we will not give him the generations of our church as well either. I like to heard a speaker when we were at a conference. And she says, not only is Satan against tearing down like the concept of family, he's even trying to tear down the generations within the church. Having boomers fighting with millennials and millennials looking down on Gen X. The idea of tearing down. And I didn't say this in the first, but I want to say this very clear. The model that we really use here at New Heights when it comes to family is we follow what we call a family equipping model. Meaning 
that we believe that the primary responsibility of discipleships happens within the concept of what we call like the nuclear family. But that doesn't mean we just push it all out. But then we also want our families to trust us, to allow us to have a voice into the lives of their children. That's where our different ministries come into play. And the idea is that there are multiple voices and multiple generations coming together, speaking one voice in one language. That's a little bit coming from my wife's Jamaican heritage, right? Out of many, one. This idea is that we are then being the family of God, speaking into future generations from multiple levels. There are things that Chad and Sarah and James will get through to grace that I might not be able to get through. But however, I do not farm out my role of being a father to Chad and to Sarah and to James. We are all involved in Brad and Charity and all of the teams that work together here that pour in. And even college and YoPro, we are all tied together in this in family. And I love how even when Kevin and, and Linda talk about I love when college students want to learn more about family. If you want to learn about the real family, the Hawkins family will bring you over and we will not clean up beforehand. You will see the real deal, right? (laughs) Even in that video, I had to edit some of it so you couldn't see all of the mess, but so I did cover up a little bit, all right? So let's get into the teach a little bit. First, we're going to look at family in the Old Testament because what I want to do, I think sometimes, and I'm not trying to shoot it down completely, but I think what can happen is that we can look at family from a Western mindset that is a little bit different than what the biblical culture is. And really what I want to grab a hold to, I'd rather have what's close to what God was trying to teach me than just kind of acquiesce to what the cultural feel is, especially if culture moves away from the biblical standard, right? And so I want to read a text to you that kind of lines out some things. And here in this text, Moses is giving the second telling of the law, and he's setting the nation up to go into God's promise, and he teaches them some things that I think really speaks to how family is the basic social, social unit in Israel during the biblical times. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children, three generations there, then children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life, hear Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Catch this in in Deuteronomy 6, beginning at 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. See, Moses is doing something here. He's establishing this order of how God wants to work within the nation. He talks about you as the personal individual receiving the commands and the decrees of God and that you are loving God with everything that is within you and therefore it consumes you. But then it doesn't just stop with you. It flows out of you into the next generation, your children 
And it's not just something, an event you do that you check off. Really, he says, this idea of passing on the spiritual legacy within family, it is something that encapsulates your whole life and your whole culture. As you sit, as you lie, as you walk along the way, it goes with you not only in your home, but as you are out and about in the community. But then as it goes from the community, it affects the nation. Because I won't read the whole passage, but it goes on down later into Deuteronomy. And what Moses tells them, he's going to say, your children are going to inherit a land that they will not have to work for. They will inherit things that they never had to labor for. But you need to make sure you pass on to them about who God is and how God moves and how God sets you up. So that way, when that time comes, they will not forget. Because he said, one day your children are going to, learn, they're going to look back and they're going to ask, how did God work in our lives? I tell you, it's a very powerful thing for kids to know their family story. Here's a little application I want to give to you, New Heights. Share the testimony of how God has moved in your life with your children, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a part of the story. And don't worry about them judging you because guess what they'll see? They should see hope and redemption. And then that way, when they face their hardships, they will be able to say, the same God that brought my mother, my father, my uncle, my grandparents, my big brother, my big sister, the same God that worked in their life, he can work in my life as well. I know the story. I've seen it. I've seen the living testimony. Amen? So let's break this down a little bit more about family in the Old Testament society. There are three ways in which they broke down and they looked at family and all of them beginning to be encapsulated to come into this big idea of family. The first idea is this nuclear family or the house, the bayit, or some call it the peace at home. This is like the family that shelters under the same roof, that nuclear family, mom, dad, and their children. But sometimes it could be extended family members staying with them for whatever reason. But sometimes this idea of the bayit would be used as a, describing the whole nation. By the way, I, I am not a Hebrew scholar. I'm going to say it with confidence. So just ride with me on that one, all right? Um, if you are a Hebrew scholar, you can correct me later. Um, so this idea of the bayit, and sometimes it would be espoused to the whole nation. But the idea with this nuclear family, part of their responsibility directly was what we kind of see in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, it, where it reads, Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Part of the Bayit's responsibility was to pass on and teach their children the ways of Yahweh, what we just read in Deuteronomy 6. They were supposed to pass on the ethos of the kingdom of heaven to their children. But it didn't just stop there at the nuclear family. I think sometimes that's where we make the mistake in America. I took care of me and my family. We're good. We're fine, right? That is not the biblical model because it goes on even further where these small nuclear families were a part of an extended family or sometimes called the father's house where there might be a patriarch. But it's the idea of is th- this is the betav- the, bet- the betava, where these multiple extended family units, these multiple nuclear families come together to form this extended family unit. And so what these families come together to do, they may share in business together. They were considered a part of being military units for protection. And they also had legal rights to help maintain and protect a uh, one man family member's property from being lost if they faced financial hardship. So these extended families were very important social networks of protection. Here's something that I really like about our ministry at the Potter's House that really rocked me when I went to their uh, fundraiser on Thursday night. Do you know many people in poverty in America are not, la- are not in poverty simply because they're lazy or simply because they didn't work hard enough? And I liked how one guy in the Potter's House video, he said, 
there are times that if I have fallen on hardship or if I do fall on hardship, part of the beauty is my social system has enough resources to catch me if I start falling, that they can surround me and they have enough resources to help me, whether it's information, job, money, somewhere to sleep, a car, they can surround me. There are some families that have been in generational poverty for historical reasons in America, and we won't go into that full lesson now, that because they don't have, their social system never had the ability to acquire those same assets to then help surround them in their time of trouble. That's what the extended family is for. So that's what I love about Potter's House. Potter's House is not just about handing one nuclear family. It's about other families forming this extended family to give that nuclear family an extended family that then surrounds them and helps them in their time of need. But it's not just about helping them. It's like as I partner up with you and you partner up with me, we all become better together. So I love that ministry. And I love that concept that fits into the idea of the betavah. But then there's one more unit in where it goes on. It's talking about the clan, the clan or the tribe or the misfaha. And this family can usually live in a large geographic area. And they, once again, too, they're about protection. But I like this idea. Part of the reason of this idea of the misfaha is that it's a metaphor that was used about this, uh, that went beyond this idea of clan. It's talking about the tribe or the nation of Israel itself. Catch this. So that the whole people could be seen as one enormous family, represented by a complex, segmented, or branch genealogy. Let me make sure I break that statement down. The idea behind this is, in the, in the Old Testament, God didn't just want them to only break apart and only look out for their nuclear family. Even though they have that nuclear family, they have responsibilities in that family, they have responsibilities in the extended family, but ultimately, he also wanted them all to see themselves as family of the people of God. And I think that's really, and so when you see the New Testament talking about family, when Jesus and Paul are talking about family, they're not looking, they're not looking at Greek culture. They're looking back at this culture when they are talking about being the family. This is the kind of family that we are supposed to be also as the body of Christ. We are supposed to be this mishpaha, this extended family, this larger family that is made up of ex- other extended families and other nuclear families all coming together to be the family of God. And the beauty of this is that for the nation of Israel, that no matter what happened, if a nuclear family had a problem, the extended family stepped in to help them. If that extended family's having a problem, the Mishpaha or the big larger tribe stepped in to help them. In other words, everybody was family, regardless even just of your blood line. Amen? And so we'll even unpack that a little bit more. In the New Testament, and the idea that bonded them together, make sure I say this, the idea that what bonded these families together was this Jewish term called hesed, or the steadfast love of God. Wow, did we sing about that at all? In the reckless love of God? That should be what bonds us all together as family. We are not just family here at New Heights because we all uh, in some way contribute to this religious 501c3 and we decide to meet at this strange place called a boys and girls club in Fayetteville. What makes us family that should bind us together is that God is our heavenly father and that his said or his steadfast love and kindness is what binds us to him and binds us together. But even in the New Testament, Jesus reaffirms the Jewish family structure. I liked when Jim was preaching at the seven last sayings at St. James Missionary Baptist Church. He mentioned that even when Jesus was dying on the cross, 
Here he is fulfilling the will of his heavenly father, but even as he hangs there, he still takes care of his role to his traditional family. When he says to Mary, mother, here is your son, son, here is your mother. Even in his pain and dying moment, he is still honoring the traditional family and making sure that his mother is taken care of. And he gives her care over to one of his disciples. But sometimes some of the sayings that Jesus has, and I can't go into all of them, but I'm going to read one in particular. It almost seems like he takes the traditional family, and he subordinates that to the family of God or under the gospel. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, it says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Because as Jim made sure to let me know, they were coming to talk to Jesus because they thought he was a little bit crazy. And they wanted like, okay, we need to come sit him down and talk to him. We think he's losing his mind. But Jesus knows this. So they said, your mother and your brother, they're outside. But look at verse 48. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, is, is my brother and sister and mother. So I like when Andrew, he said this one time in playing, he said, sometimes being a part of the family of God, it will begin to blur your natural family lines. Because there are times that you will become so close, hopefully with your brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may even become closer to you sometimes than your natural family. And that's a very blessed thing if that happens. But it's also a blessed thing if even in your natural family, you have such a natural, that you have a love for God, that it's not just about your bloodline, it's also about the bloodline of Jesus Christ that you share together as family. But I want to say this statement. You know, but the traditional view of family, and Jesus is making this clear, that the traditional view of family was transformed to seeing the Christian community as a new family or a household of faith. And that's what we are here today, New Heights. We are standing together as a household of faith. Amen? And I'm going to do something a little bit out of order. I did it at the end of the last service. But if you are in here and you have completed Discovery just recently or you're about to complete Discovery, could you stand if you're in here? Or did they all come to the first service? All right. You got some? Any more? Amen? Stay standing. This is what I want us to do. I want us to demonstrate being the family of God right now. So here we are. We have been formed together as the family of New Heights. We are an extended family, right? And now these people have went through a time where they have sat and they have learned about what God is doing here amongst this particular body and this family. And they have said that we feel the call of God that he has binded us together with this local body, this family of God at New Heights. What I want us to do, New Heights, if you're near one of these people that are standing, just go near them, lay your hands on them if they're comfortable being touched, and pray for them. If you're not that close, reach your hand out to them, and I want us to pray. And as we pray New Heights, this is what we're praying, and you that are standing, this is our commitment as New Heights. We will stand with you in life's tr troubles and difficulties. If your nuclear family falls into trouble, we will be your extended family. New Heights belongs to the larger tribe of the family of God. And we want to stand with you in your hardships and troubles. We want to share in the word of God together. We want to commune with you and we want to walk with you. So New Heights, let's pray into them and ask that God will help them to be a part of this family and that their, their gifts can be used here within this local body. God, I thank you once again for these people that have went through discovery. I thank you for this family here at New Heights and what you're doing and how you're moving amongst us. But may we never get it twisted, God. It is not about us. 
You are our heavenly father. You are the king of our hearts, God. And it's because of your, un, your, your steadfast love, God, that we pursue after you. We thank you for these people. Use them in a mighty way here at New Heights. May their gifts be used to the fullest of their ability to reach the nations, to reach this community, to break strongholds in this city, God. We thank you for them. May we be faithful in walking with them and being the true family of God. May we grieve with them when they grieve. May we rejoice with them when they rejoice. And God, we just thank you that you have knit them together with us. We praise you and we thank you and we welcome them into this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this family. So don't laugh at me if I get to my notes later and I ask you to do it again. So this idea that that the Christian community is now seen as this new family of this household of faith. It's not something that was just like this one-time thing. Paul also says it. Look at how Paul lays out this conviction. Even in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. But that's not all. Paul talked about it again. Jim mentioned this verse last week in 1 Thessalonians in verse 4, beginning at verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. You know, so this idea is talking about them seeing each other as family and it moving them in their connection with one another. I have to make a connection. I have to make a confession here. Ann Raina did something to me that I, I don't know if I'm upset with her about or not, but it was good. So I'm just making a confession here, right? So at the Joshua Center, we do a lot of training on how to work with our clients and really connect with them in life's hurts and life's pains. And so I'm working with someone and we're doing a practice scenario. And this person sitting across from me and Ann Raina being who she is, she's sitting behind me and she's supervising me. And I'm struggling to connect with this person's experience and really go deep to where their pain and their hurt is. And Ann Raina does something that was just like a awesome Jedi move. She leans over my shoulder and she says, James, pretend she's Grace. She, because Ann Raina was close enough to my family, she knew the love I have for my daughter. And she knew that the love I had for my daughter, if she tapped into that, 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 and I associated that kind of family connection with this person, it was going to change how I moved towards that person. I hope you catch this with me, New Heights. If I just see you as just another person with a problem, uh, I can kind of touch it and get a little close to it. But when you're family, it's a whole nother game and how it moves me close to you and how it binds me to you. And so I want to encourage us. That's the language that Paul and Jesus that I'm reading here is saying, you, we need to be able to see each other as family. But I know that's hard. Sometimes it's hard to see each other as family when we didn't get a good model of family ourselves. I know that's a struggle. And I know that's hard. And you say, James, can God ever redeem that? Yes, he can. He wants to redeem that in relationship with him. He wants, to redo, he wants to redeem that in your relationship with the family of God. And he will restore, even no matter what you've experienced in your family, me and Nicola, we can tell you, even in our family, we are a living truth. And I remember when I finally came to Christ, and I took a phone call from my dad, and I think it was a Friday night, and I was happy. My dad picked up the phone. He said, son, the family curse has finally stopped here with me and you. 
I claim our lives now under Jesus Christ, and it stops here. God can do that for you. Amen? Yeah. Because here's why I'm passionate about this and why I believe in this so much. This is what I believe, that the war against the isms in our society can only be won when people who love God passionately come together as the family of God and love each other, each other tangibly. I believe what's going on in culture and why the struggles and all the breakdown and, and just so much that's going on. We cannot expect culture to show something that we as a family of God are not mirroring to the world. You see why the family was important in Israel? Because God was using each level of family to display a bigger message. That God wants to redeem the world and call the world to himself. That if we as the church cannot move towards each other as family, then we cannot have an impact on this culture. Right? And I like how Mother Teresa said it. She says, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. I really believe this culture is learn, yearning for a redemptive view of family. Now, Satan will not let that go easily, but nevertheless, we must be bold and powerful in the love that we show. And it's not just about you. Even in Genesis, we are a kingdom family and that you have been blessed by God. And I want to read to you a couple of scriptures that just show the power of coming together as a family to bless the nations. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in this passage, what we're seeing is you have been made in the image of God. You bear his mark as you live in his creation and that he has blessed you to do what he has equipped you to do. Whether you're a husband, father, wife, mother, son, daughter, grandparent, you are made in the image of God and you have his blessing upon you to exercise his dominion over the earth. But even we go down and to Joshua and Joshua is about to go off of leadership in the nation of Israel. And he makes a very powerful declaration before the people. In verse 14 of Joshua 24, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your, the, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there's this powerful, he's calling them. He's saying, no matter what the nation does, I will make a declaration for me and my family that we are going to serve the Lord. You can make that declaration in your family. No matter what you've been through or what you've, what you, what's going on in the culture around you, your family does not have to acquiesce to the culture of the world. You set the culture in your home, and the culture should be the culture of the kingdom of heaven that you get to pass on to your family. Then we go into Ephesians, and the book of Ephesians is very good in how it's set up. It begins off, this is your identity in Christ. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in you. You have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. You have been saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. And it goes on and on. It talks about you have been changed. We've made one in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 5, he talks about the relationship of the church. But then he makes a switch. Paul goes from this great 
overarching theological treaties, and he goes into talking about husband and wife submitting to Christ and how they treat each other. That husband and wife, the way that they live together is an example of the church. And then he goes after that, and what does he end with in Ephesians 6? Spiritual warfare. Do you follow the outline Paul is going with? Same thing as Deuteronomy. It's a personal one. The congregation coming together, family, but Satan is going to be against you. But he says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. All these verses declare that God is the one that, our, that the family should be centered on. Whether the nuclear family, talking about just our traditional families, or whether we're talking about the family of God. But not every Christian believes that. Strange, right? Here's what I mean by that. A Barna research study said this. People were more, people were more than 50% more likely to say that their church's congregation is their most significant group. That sounds good until we finish the quote than to say that God represents their most important personal connection. Ouch. This certainly reflects the interpersonal comfort that millions of people have developed at their church, but also indicates that people may have forgotten the ultimate reason for belonging to a Christian church. See, if I only look at people in the church and I just say, hey, you yourself, and this is an issue that's even bigger and I won't go into totally, I love you. And you're sitting in front of me. I appreciate you. But you know what transcends ethnic, gender, and socioeconomic barriers? Because many churches tend to be very, very homogeneous, right? Whether it's ethnically or even socioeconomically. New Heights isn't. That's a beauty, right? But I think here's the secret why New Heights is able to pull it off. Because we as the leaders and you as the congregation and our elders are centered on our identity will not be based on earthly standards. It is on God being the one who is in control. See, it's not based on you around me. We are here as the family of God, not because, once again, we give our tithes and offerings to this religious 501c3. We exist to be the family of God and to do his will here in Northwest Arkansas and across the world. So family matters. And I want to talk about some of the reasons why does family matter. And the big one for me is that family affects the bonds that we have with ourselves, with others, and with God. One of my friends did his research on it. What he found is people that have unresolved things from their past, maybe it's with family, maybe it's with other things, that what happens is those unresolved issues in their life, they begin to change and affect the way that that person views God. So what happens here on earth affects how we feel, how we view what's going on in heaven, but God is trying to break through from heaven and touch what's going on here on earth to break us, to to help break us free. In Ephesians verse five, it says, giving this example once again about the family bond, and I'm not going to read it all, but it's talking about how a husband and wife, Paul says, I'm speaking in a mystery, but I'm talking, I'm talking about the husband and wife on earth, but I'm really talking about the relationship between Christ and his church. But then Jesus offers a challenge to his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 35. For this, re- for this by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, the bonds that we have in our connection with each other are to be reflect the kingdom of heaven. I want to throw up a little geek slide real quick here. And it's kind of this idea talking about different generations and how does family help make up their identity. And what you'll see beginning with the gray one, that's the older or the elder generation. This says that 76% of them said that family played a lot of a significant role in their sense of identity. 
But what you begin to see with each generation is that the effect that family has that makes up their identity decreases with each generation. And then even when we were at a conference last week and they were talking about Gen Z, that's our younger, like almost high school students. And with Gen Z, they are very motivated, not by connections with people. They are motivated. Their idea of happiness comes from, and I'm going to tell you them in order. The number one thing that Gen Z finds happiness in, money. Number two, education. And then number three, family. Our, our, what I see in culture is that people are hungering for connection, but connection is not being seen with people. It's being seen with other things. And that's why you see so much of the brokenness that goes on, because we were created to be in connection. But then another slide here real quick. How much of, the, how much of a role does the family play in your identity again? And this is just talking about all adults. There's some hope in this, right? That 62% of all adults say that a major part, that red part at the top, that their identity comes from their family connections, that the role that their family plays. But you say, James, I went through a lot of hurt and I went through a lot of pain in my family. I don't feel very connected. And I don't know, like James, I'm a parent. Sometimes I don't get it all right. What does it mean to help my kids? I'm scared. You just told me that my kids are not getting their identity from me. You wanna know how we pass on and how we pass on identity and we affect people? We connect with them, we attune to them. And so, but this idea, wait, James, so I've got to get this thing perfectly right. You're scaring me here, James. Let me give you some hope and some grace. Nobody can ever be perfectly attuned all the time. There are going to be times when we miss each other. And actually, in one research study, they said that families that, are, that have this idea of attunement, where what I can connect with what you're feeling and I can share what I'm feeling with you, they only do it really 40% of the time that they experience a sense of attunement in their family. And that there's 30% of the time where they experience what we call disconnection, that yellow part up there. In other words, there's stress, there's illness, there's trials of life, there's demonic attack where we just aren't always perfectly connected. But the, the point is, is that repair, that there's 30% that families that are striving and that they have this sense of connection, that 30% of the time they are working at repair and repairing those disconnections. And actually what happens for those families, because they are then working on repair, it actually tributes and helps make them even more connected and attuned to each other. And that's the idea of having that testimony of how God has been faithful over time with our family. So the idea is not always getting it right. That's not the goal. Repair is a key in families so that we can have more of that sense of connection and attunement. Well, let me get ready to move towards some applications to get ready to close us out. One thing that really impacted me, and when I look at this and I think about it, what is it that families need? Sometimes as families, that, that what we found in one survey, and I'm going to throw another graphic up there, is this idea of having a family mission statement. When, survey, when, survey, uh, when people were surveyed, only 70% of people said that they have an explicit set of values for their family, but only 30% of them had ever written out like a family mission or purpose statement. So in other words... What I'm concerned about is many times as families, we're, just because of the stress of life and all the things going on, we're not always clear about what's the purpose and intent of our family. I want to challenge you with something, New Heights. Write out a family mission statement. And you say, well, James, I don't have a family or I'm just a single person. I want to encourage you, before Nicole and I got married, we had went through a time of talking with the Lord about what is it, our call towards him. And if we do get married, what is that going to look like? because you don't want to be caught off guard, right? So what is a family mission statement? You'll see mine come up here behind me. The Hawkins family mission statement is, we will love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and that we will love our neighbors as ourselves. 
if my girls leave with nothing else, because it will not be a very rich inheritance, maybe not, God bless, he can give me the resources, but I want them to leave with that, that they embody the great commission. Another point of application is prayer. Prayer is so valuable for families to thrive. If you'll look on the back table back here, you'll see like there's a little bookmark. I got this from Chad and Angela Imhoff at a teaching that they did about praying for your spouse daily. Another one that's back there is from Desiring God. It's about seven things you can pray for your child each day. Do you know that prayer actually does change things and affect things and it shifts your way? Because what prayer is doing is you are inviting God into your family to move in a way that only he can do in your family, right? Also, we need to live together in community. No family can live by themselves. And so we need to surround each other with those nuclear families, need the extended family. We need the whole family of God. I want to encourage you to worship together as family. But also as New Heights, one of the things I like is we try to be a part of equipping you to succeed as a family. So we have parent equip classes. That's one thing that you can be a part of. There are sometimes in the second service in the back, and we announce when you have, we have those. There are the Joshua Center community classes. And coming up in the fall, my wife and I will lead a, a marriage class on what does spiritual formation look like in marriage? How does God work in marriage to help make you more and more into his image? Then there's the belong ministry to help come along and support our foster and adoptive families at New Heights. We have family camp coming up here. We talked about that already, right? And we're going to talk more about what does it mean to be a family in your community. And then also I want to recommend some resources to you. The Great Commandment Principle, a great book on what it means to, be, to live out the Great Commandment as the people of God together. Then there's the Family Worship Book by Don Whitney about how to help you succeed in having a family worship time together. There's the blessing book on how can you as a family pass on the blessing to your children. The Cure and Parents is one I got from Ann Rayner. Another book to maybe talk about what are some of the family patterns that I picked up from my past is Unlocking Your Family Patterns to look at what, how has my, the, my family's past affected me. Maybe you're a couple struggling with your connection with one another that's created for connection. Maybe you're trying to disciple someone, but it's not just trying to disciple them on a cognitive level, but you're trying to connect with them on what is that love? What are they loving? A great book is You Are What You Love. And some of these books are for sale out there in the front lobby where we sell our books at. So here's how I want to close out today. I want to affirm of you. I told you already that Satan is after you. and He wants to destroy your families. And the worship team is going to get ready to come forward. And I just want to speak a blessing over you. And I want to encourage you. Because I understand Satan is warring against you. And yet some of the things he's warring against you in the obvious things. But I think Satan does not want us to be effective. He does not want us to see the spiritual legacy and the effect that we can have as husbands and fathers, as mothers and wives. But not even just that. Even after the first service, it was great to hear a young college girl come up to me and talk about how she was weeping and mourning for her family. That they were themselves in spiritual darkness. God can use one person in a family to change a whole family. But I also want to say that I believe that Satan is against the family of God. He does not want us to see each other as family of God. He wants to divide us on theological differences, on denominations, on ethnic, off gender, off of socioeconomic statuses. So can I, as your marriage and family pastor, can I take the moment? I want to speak a blessing over you. Can I do that? To the men of New Heights, I want to speak to you. Satan wants to rob you of who your identity is. And sometimes he wants to sell you a false bill of goods. He wants to tell you that you being a man is only about your paycheck, what deer you shot in the fall. He wants to tell you it's only about sports. I want to encourage you to be men of God. 
I want you to be men like David. And yeah, David fell, but David could fall and he would repent and turn back towards God. David was a man, he was a warrior, but David was also a man who played a harp and wrote poetry and he worshiped before God, even if it seemed foolish. I want more men like that at New Heights, that you are not bound by cultural definitions of manhood, but that you are following the kingdom of heaven and who it means to be a man and that you will speak blessings over your children. And even if you're a man in here that doesn't have children, that you will speak blessings over other children, that you can step into a place where maybe a sister in Christ has been hurt and you can be a part of her healing, redemptive story. Maybe you're a woman in here, and I know women, you've heard many mixed messages about who you are in society. You've been objectified and abused for so long. And sometimes you even get mixed messages from us as a church. I wanna speak blessings over you. Your beauty is more than what you look like on the outside. You don't have to measure up to any pop culture figure. Your beauty is who you are on the inside. You are too, as well as the men. You are made in the image of God, and you are created to be a co-reigner and heir of dominion over God's earth. That men and women, which you speak here on earth, that you can buy things, you can release things. That God has put power in you as husbands and fathers. You speak blessings over your family each day. As mothers and as wives, you speak blessings. You have power. You have a voice in this world. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you say, I don't have that family. Pray over them. Seek God's redemption. That maybe God will save his whole, your whole family and change the future generations of family through you. God, I thank you for New Heights. May we be the family of God here in Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas, and wherever you choose to take us, God, even around to the nations. God, may we be the family of God that is a living demonstration of what your love is for us and that we have been adopted through your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and that we are the family of God. May we mourn with each other and celebrate with each other. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you have been inspired and equipped to go about your relationship with God and others in a more excellent way. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A More Excel Way. And check out our website at A More Excellent Way Relationship.com. Visit KLRC.com to learn more about the More Excellent Way.